welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. And knowing the fragility of life and their losses every day, everywhere, let us never be so presumptuous as to assume that the next day of life is promised to us. Let us do away with the hate, selfishness, unforgiveness, and division in our hearts and minds, be it personal, political, or whatever, and instead focus on love, love, love loving ourselves and others, and always extending love to our mighty I Am Presence. For whichever we choose to fill our hearts with presently, be it love or hate, or however we choose to express the individual presence of God within us, know this, that the choices we make in life now will meet us again on our last day. So, let us choose wisely. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. May God bless us all and y'all be loved. The human body and symbolism. As light bears witness of life, which is its source, so the mind bears witness of the spirit, and activity in a still lower plane bears witness of intelligence. Thus, the mind bears witness of the heart, while the generative system, in turn, bears witness of the mind. Accordingly, the spiritual nature is most commonly symbolized by a heart, the intellectual power by an opened eye, symbolizing the pineal gland or cyclopean eye, which is the two-faced genus of the pagan mysteries, and the generative system by a flower, a staff, a cup, or a hand. While all the mysteries recognize the heart as the center of spiritual consciousness, they often purposely ignored this concept and used the heart in its exoteric sense as the symbol of the emotional nature. In this arrangement the generative center represented the physical body, the heart the emotional body, and the brain the mental body. The brain represented the superior sphere, but after the initiates had passed through the lower degrees, they were instructed that the brain was the proxy of the spiritual flame dwelling in the innermost recesses of the heart. The student of esotericism discovers ere long that the ancients often resorted to various blinds to conceal the true interpretations of their mysteries. The substitution of the brain for the heart was one of these blinds. The three degrees of the ancient mysteries were, with few exceptions, given in chambers which represented the three great centers of the human and universal bodies. If possible, the temple itself was constructed in the form of the human body, the candidate entered between the feet and received the highest degree in the point corresponding to the brain. Thus, the first degree was the material mystery, and its symbol was the generative system, it raised the candidate through the various degrees of concrete thought. The second degree was given in the chamber corresponding to the heart but represented the middle power which was the mental link. Here the candidate was initiated into the mysteries of abstract thought and lifted as high as the mind was capable of penetrating. He then passed into the third chamber, which, analogous to the brain, occupied the highest position in the temple but, analogous to the heart, was of the greatest dignity. 
In the brain chamber the heart mystery was given. Here the initiate for the first time truly comprehended the meaning of those immortal words, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As there are seven hearts in the brain so there are seven brains in the heart, but this is a matter of superphysics of which little can be said at the present time. Proclus writes on this subject in the first book of On the Theology of Plato. Indeed, Socrates in the, first, Alcibiades rightly observes, that the soul entering into herself will behold all other things, and deity itself. For verging to her own union, and to the center of all life, laying aside multitude, and the variety of the all-manifold powers which she contains, she ascends to the highest watchtower offerings. And as in the most holy of the mysteries, they say, that the mystics at first meet with a multiform, and many-shaped genera, which are hurled forth before the gods, but on entering the temple, unmoved and guarded by the mystic rites, they genuinely receive in their bosom, heart, divine illumination, and divested of their garments, as they would say, participate of a divine nature, the same mode, as it appears to me, takes place in the speculation of holes. For the soul when looking at things posterior to herself, beholds the shadows and images of beings, but when she converts herself to herself, she evolves her own essence, and the reasons which she contains. And at first indeed, she only, as it were, beholds herself, but, when she penetrates more profoundly into the knowledge of herself, she finds in herself both intellect, and the orders of beings. When however, she proceeds into her interior recesses, and into the additum as it were of the soul, she perceives with her eye closed, without the aid of the lower mind, the genius of the gods, and the unities of beings. For all things are in us psychically, and through this we are naturally capable of knowing all things, by exciting the powers and the images of wholes which we contain. The initiates of old warned their disciples that an image is not a reality but merely the objectification of a subjective idea. The image of the gods was not designed to be objects of worship but were to be regarded merely as emblems or reminders of invisible powers and principles. Similarly, the body of man must not be considered as the individual, but only as the house of the individual, in the same manner that the temple was the house of God. The Secret Teachings of All Ages, by Manley P. Hall, 1928. Isis Unveiled, Chapter 14 There is not, perhaps, on the face of the whole globe, a more imposing mass of ruins than Nakhon Wat, the wonder and puzzle of European archaeologists who venture into Siam. And when we say ruins, the expression is hardly correct, for nowhere are there buildings of such tremendous antiquity to be found in a better state of preservation than Nakhon Wat, and the ruins of Angkordam, the great temple. Hidden far away in the province of Siamrap, eastern Siam, in the midst of a most luxuriant tropical vegetation, surrounded by almost impenetrable forests of palms, cocoa trees, and betel nut, the general appearance of the wonderful temple is beautiful and romantic, as well as impressive and grand, says Mr. Vincent, a recent traveler. We whose good fortune it is to live in the 19th century, are accustomed to boast of the perfection and preeminence of our modern civilization, of the grandeur of our attainments in science, art, literature, and what not, as compared with those whom we call ancients, but still we are compelled to admit that they have far excelled our recent endeavors in many things, and notably in the fine arts of painting, architecture, and sculpture. We were but just looking upon a most wonderful example of the two latter, for in style and beauty of architecture, 
solidity of construction, and magnificent and elaborate carving and sculpture, the great Nakhon what has no superior, certainly no rival standing at the present day. The first view of the ruins is overwhelming. Thus, the opinion of another traveler is added to that of many preceding ones, including archaeologists and other competent critics, who have believed that the ruins of the past Egyptian splendor deserve no higher eulogium than Nakhon Wat. According to our plan, we will allow more impartial critics than ourselves to describe the place, since, in a work professedly devoted to a vindication of the ancients, the testimony of so enthusiastic an advocate as the present writer may be questioned. We have, nevertheless, seen Nakhon what under exceptionally favorable circumstances, and can, therefore, certify to the general correctedness of Mr. Vincent's description. He says, We entered upon an immense causeway, the stairs of which were flanked with six huge griffins, each carved from a single block of stone, the causeway is, 725 feet in length, and is paved with stones each of which measures 4 feet in length by 2 in breadth. On either side of it are artificial lakes fed by springs and each covering about 5 acres of ground. The outer wall of Nakhonwat, the city of monasteries, is half a mile square, with gateways, which are handsomely carved with figures of gods and dragons. The foundations are 10 feet in height. The entire edifice, including the roof, is of stone, but without cement, and so closely fitting are the joints as even now to be scarcely discernible. The shape of the building is oblong, being 796 feet in length and 588 in width, while the highest central pagoda rises some 250 odd feet above the ground, and four others, at the angles of the court, are each about 150 in height. The above underscored lines are suggestive to travelers who have remarked and admired the same wonderful mason work in the Egyptian remains. If the same workmen did not lay the courses in both countries, we must at least think that the secret of this matchless wall building was equally known to the architects of every land. H. People of Otsky. Passing, we ascend a platform, and enter the temple itself through a columned portico, the facade of which is beautifully carved in basso with ancient mythological subjects. From this doorway, on either side, runs a corridor with a double row of columns, cut, base and capital, from single blocks, with a double, oval-shaped roof, covered with carving and consecutive sculptures upon the outer wall. This gallery of sculptures, which forms the exterior of the temple, consists of over half a mile of continuous pictures, cut in basso upon sandstone slabs six feet in width, and represents subjects taken from Hindu mythology, from the Ramayana, the Sanskrit epic poem of India, with its 25,000 verses describing the exploits of the god Rama, and the son of the king of Aud. The contests of the king of Ceylon, and Hanuma, the monkey god, are graphically represented. There is no keystone used in the arch of this corridor. On the walls are sculptured the immense number of 100,000 separate figures. One picture from the Ramayana, occupies 240 feet of the wall. In the Nakhon what as many as 1,532 solid columns have been counted, and among the entire ruins of Angkor, the immense number of 6,000, almost all of them hewn from single blocks and artistically carved. But who built Nakhon what? And when was it built? Learned men have attempted to form opinions from studies of its construction, and especially ornamentation, and have failed. Native Cambodian historians, adds Vincent, Reckon 2400 from the building of the temple. I asked one of them how long Nakhon had been built. None can tell when. I do not know, 
It must have either sprung up from the ground or been built by giants, or perhaps by the angels, was the answer. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 14 When the love in your own heart reaches up to our Elohim love, recognizes our presence within your own life, and then again pours love to your mighty I Am presence, you give us a threefold activity of the sacred fire from the ascended master's octave that we can project into any conditions and change it, if it be discordant, into that which fulfills the divine plan. This will prevent you becoming exhausted. It will prevent you becoming the victims of the fear suggestions in the outer world, because they are everywhere. Mankind is generating so much destruction all the time, fear is so rampant everywhere, that if you don't keep yourself insulated from it, it will come in and destroy you, just like it will destroy anything else in the outer world. But when you fill yourselves with our sacred fire control of manifestation, when you ask us to fill you with what we know makes you not only master over, but keeps out of you the fear of the outer world and the selfishness of the outer world, you will give your own beloved I am presence unconditional freedom through the outer self, to release perfection into you and through you and into your affairs, and you will not go on and feel the exhaustion or the fear and the destruction that, many times, make you make mistakes, and but create more problems. When, sometimes in the outer world you think you know what to do to solve a problem, if you do not know all that is there, you can open yourselves and temporarily solve a problem, and with it you will draw several other problems, perhaps greater than the one you're trying to solve, and this will prevent that. Now mankind does not understand who the seven mighty Elohim are, and what power of love we wield to control all manifestation. That is why we are called the seven powers around the throne, the seven builders around the throne, because we are definitely concerned with the control of manifestation in this physical world, and we concern ourselves with it, first of all, within your own physical bodies, within your own minds, within your feeling, and then within your atmosphere, then into the conditions that you have to handle in the physical world. So, if you want more help in the outer world to bring to you the conditions that fulfill the divine plan and enable you to do something constructive to help others, please give us the opening to pour into you, first, our own heart's love, the sacred fire love of the seven mighty Elohim that builds and builds and builds and will always build perfection in you, through you, around you, and anywhere you call it into outer activity. You can send it to others, just the same as you can send a thought or a telegram or a message or can talk over a telephone. You have no doubt about your message reaching the person that you want, when you use outer world means of communication. Very many times you do not always get through when you want to, because there is obstruction in the outer world. But there is no obstruction to us. I want you to realize this tonight. That's why we are master over the physical world. There isn't a condition you have in your world today that our sacred fire can't move into and consume it on the instant. That is why, if you will recognize that within your own heart flame is the love from the great central sun that gives you existence, it is you, the being, who made the choice to come into physical existence. Beloved Elohim Hercules I want you to become acquainted with the unfed flame in your own heart, because most people don't know they have one. They know something about the heart when they have heart trouble, or they think they do, but mankind does not understand that within the physical heart itself there is a flame from the mighty I am presence, from the great central sun. It abides within your inner bodies, 
And if you will recognize this every time you want anything constructive, if you'll remember the part in you that wants something constructive, the desire in you for something constructive is the desire within your own heart, the great central sun's desire for you to have perfection, to expand it, to give it to the rest of the universe, and to let it control manifestation wherever you abide, because it is the master power of the universe. Therefore, whenever you need help in the outer world, please remember our existence. And turning your attention, first of all recognize the unfed flame in your heart, which is the sacred fire, and as it reaches up and becomes one with the sevenfold flame of the seven mighty Elohim and again expands its love to the mighty I am presence, your higher mental body and your electronic presence and your causal body, just reach your flame up there and ask the seven mighty Elohim to blaze in and around you what we know makes you our mastery over everything in this world. Your own beloved I am presence can fill you with its master powers, pour them through you, control conditions around you, and we hold the protection and furnish the sacred fire love that sometimes you yourself cannot furnish in the outer world because there is battle between personalities. We can furnish enough sacred fire love in and around your own life stream to control conditions around you, that your own mighty I am presence may exert its mastery and produce out here what fulfills the divine plan. If people would only understand this and use it, they just would not make mistakes and would not create problems. Now you'll have activity, plenty of it, but you won't have the discord, and the only one divine way to live life anywhere in this world or any other anywhere in infinite space, the only way that you have to live life the harmonious way, the constructive way to fulfill the divine plan, is to be continuously aware that the sacred fire love in your life stream is the heart of the universe as well as within your physical heart. Beloved Elohim Hercules.